This is the Dare to Hope podcast, and I'm your host, Keith Hinton. Welcome to part one of Living in God's Favor. I used to be a little uneasy as a kid when a group of us would choose sides for a baseball game in the neighborhood. We usually selected two captains who would then choose their teams. I was almost never the favored choice. In fact, I was usually pretty happy if I wasn't the last one chosen for the team. I don't think I'm far off when I suggest that most of us, humanly speaking, would rather be the favorite. Is it possible to be on God's favorite list? Scripture suggests that we are the apple of God's eye, which our English language understands as being in a position of favor so far as God is concerned. Can that be true? Let's listen as the message today makes a case for the possibility of living a life in God's favor. Do you have a favorite thing? How many of you have something you think is favorite for you, huh? It might be that. I have in my Paw Patrol bag. You guys into Paw Patrol? Anybody know what Paw Patrol is? Let me see. Okay, all right. I think you're better off than the first group was this morning. I'm not sure they knew. <laughs> Nonetheless, I'll tell you, one of the, my favorite things is in there, and I'm going to tell you about that in just a little bit. Favorite thing, something you cherish more than other things. Perhaps it's a favorite tool or a favorite instrument. Joanne has a favorite kitchen pan she loves to cook in. It got a little damaged while we were in Florida, and she was very sad, but it's fixed now, and we're good. So she gets to use that. Maybe it's not just something. Maybe it's someone. You have a favorite person or persons in your life. These are the people that you really like to be around because they understand you. They accept you. They may actually inspire you. And because they do all of that, you like hanging out with them. And whoever that person is, whether it's a child or a grandchild or a friend, someone that you are so close to, whether they realize it or not, they are living in your favor. You favor them. The fact is, most, if not all of us, have a desire to be favored. We want to enjoy the favor of our friends. We hope that our parents favor us when we're growing up. We want our kids to favor us as we are their parents. There's certainly an expectation that our spouse would give us favoritism at least once in a while over this long scheme of things, you know. It's a, something we desire. We want it. I want to tell you this morning that, believe it or not, God has favorites. I know some of you want to argue with that right away, and we'll get there. But I want you to know that all of us can be on God's favorite list. It doesn't exclude anybody. Peter declared, God is no respecter of persons when he was preaching in the book of Acts. And the NASB says, God is not one to show partiality. That certainly is true with regard to the plan of salvation, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have 
everlasting life. In Acts 2.21, again in Romans 10.13, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, since God doesn't show partiality with regard to salvation, we can logically conclude that neither does He show partiality when it comes to His favor. He wants to favor you. What it comes down to, however, is this. Are we willing to make the choices we need to make in our life so that we can allow God to show favor toward us? Let me give you some scriptural foundation that kind of helps to get a handle on what I'm talking about here. In Matthew 5.19, Jesus says, So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys everyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, what I conclude is, if you choose to ignore God's word, you are least, you are out of favor. If you choose to obey his word, you are great in the kingdom, or you are in God's favor. Matthew 12, 15, again, he repeats it in Mark 3, 35, we find the observation that Jesus made, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, doing the will of the Father puts you in a position of favor, brother, sister, mother. One more. Matthew 18.4 says, So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The implication is that that true humility puts us in a position of greatness or favor in the kingdom of heaven. What I'm saying is that since God is no respecter of persons and his everlasting love and great mercy extends to all humanity, each of us has the opportunity to live our lives in God's favor if we make choices that put us in a position to receive that favor from God. Somebody listening to me today may be thinking, it's too late for me. I've already made too many bad choices. I could never even expect God's mercy, much less His favor in my life. Or maybe Satan is whispering in your spiritual ear that you have failed the Lord too many times. And too severely for you to ever think God could favor you. My response to that is this. It is not too late. Do you hear me? It is not too late. And I hope the passage that we're going to be considering today will confirm for you that God wants to forgive you and He wants to favor you. And he wants you to become a positive influence in his kingdom. Together, we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. And I chose to read from the message this morning and uh, put it on the screen so that you could follow along if you'd like. But your version, if you have it there in your Bible, is pretty close. But I really like the way Mr. Peterson put it. 1 Kings 15, 1. In the eighteenth year of the rule of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, 
Abijah took over the throne of Judah. He ruled in Jerusalem three years. His mother was Makah, daughter of Absalom. He continued to sin just like his father before him. He was not true-hearted to God as his great-grandfather David had been. But despite that, out of respect for David, his God graciously gave him a lamp that is a son to follow him and keep Jerusalem secure. For David had lived an exemplary life before God all his days, not going off on his own in willful defiance of God's clear directions, except for that time with Uriah the Hittite. So that you have some background here and can kind of understand where we are historically, by this time in history, uh, there were two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, there was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel. Israel was, began at least being ruled by King Jeroboam. Jeroboam was very wicked, and he was so wicked that the fact is they, that in 250 years or so, the ruling dynasty, the ruling family, changed hands nine times in just 250 years. I kind of wanted to know why. It was because they were evil. Then we go over to the other side, to Judah. We find the family of David. And that's where Rehoboam, not Jeroboam, but Rehoboam. Isn't that great? Uh, (laughs) Gets confusing to me, probably to you too. He's Solomon's son. He's King David's grandson. And then we have Abijah, who is Rehoboam's son, which makes it David's great-grandson. But this Abijah was very wicked too. And yet the kingdom was not taken from Rehoboam's family, the family of David. In fact, in nearly 400 years, there was only one ruling dynasty. That was the family of David, even though they were wicked too. Why? It tells us, out of respect for David. Now, (laughs) as I was reading 1 Kings 15 one day, a couple of verses almost leaped off the page at me. The first were these words we've just referred to in verse 4. Out of respect for David. Wait a minute. Wait, hold on. David has been dead for at least three generations. And this verse is saying that God is still acting out of respect for David. That's amazing. In other words, because David lived his life in God's favor... God was willing to intervene in the affairs of even future generations down his line of rule. I want to pause long enough here just to to give you a little insight to the words. The Hebrew word translated favor in the Old Testament is the same word often rendered as grace. Favor, grace, or gracious. It may also be translated as precious, or acceptance. In the New Testament, again, the Greek word for grace is sometimes translated as favor. They're almost interchangeable. For instance, in Luke 2.40, referring to the child Jesus, 
The New Living Translation puts it this way. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. While most other translations actually say something like the grace of God was upon him. So I just wanted to give you some insight to that. So God's respect for David or the favor that God showed to David is a direct result of God's grace and God's acceptance. God's favor is a byproduct of his grace in our lives. Again, our text says that God acted in this instance out of respect for David. I like that. We'll need to come back to that. Hold that right there. So then as I was reading that day, I went to verse 5, and again my attention was arrested. For David had lived, it says, an exemplary life before God all his days, not going off on his own in willful defiance of God's clear directions, except for that time with Uriah the Hittite. Did you hear that? You know, David had lived an exemplary life before God all his days, except for that time with Uriah the Hittite. Now, pretend for a moment that you don't know anything about that history. You never heard about David's sin with regard to to Uriah the Hittite. And maybe you're not so sure about it anyway. That gives you an advantage today, all right? But if we didn't know anything about that part of David's life, what would you think about those eight words except in the case of Uriah the Hittite? We would probably think that whatever that sin was, it must not have been a biggie. After, God, after all, God doesn't seem to be very upset about it anyway. Some author put it this way. I kind of liked it. He said, it's a little like at lunch one day, David stole Uriah's Twinkie out of his lunchbox. <laughs> I, I thought about it in another way. One day, David and Uriah were playing Monopoly, and David cheated to win. Now, the reason I thought of that is because I've done that. Okay. <laughs> It had to be something like that, something pretty small, not very big. We'd never guess, we'd never imagine that David, who is described as living a life, exemplary, an exemplary life before God all his days, that he would have committed adultery with a married woman. Then after getting her pregnant, would have lied and tried to deceive her husband Uriah into thinking that the child was his. And when that didn't work, He would have had Uriah, this faithful servant in his army, he would have had him murdered. We wouldn't think that. And then when when that had happened, he lied and hid that sin for a year. Over a year. We would never guess all this in the reference to Uriah if we didn't know the story. Would you? We'd never imagine that God would have described David's breaking four of the Ten Commandments, coveting, adultery, lying, murder, with just eight words, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Now, before we go any further, and and we are going to go further, but before we go any further, there are three things that we learn about God just in those verses. First one is this. God favors those who have a totally committed relationship with Him. 
Our text says David was true-hearted to God. He was devoted to God. And frankly, that's God's expectation, isn't it? He says we are supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with your mind, with all your strength, and to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's God's expectation. Total commitment is not only expected by God, it's the kind of relationship we have with Him that He can bless with His favor. Second thing we learn about God is that God's favor includes His compassion and His mercy, which cover a multitude of sins. Our text mentions that God graciously gave. He gave graciously. And that's an accurate description of God, to call Him gracious. He's gracious. He's full of loving kindness. He's full of mercy. He's full of forgiveness. And that's why James, when he's writing, says mercy triumphs over judgment. That's why the psalmist could declare he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Why? Because God is gracious and loving and merciful and forgiving. God's compassion and mercy cover a multitude of grievous sins. Third thing here at this juncture is that God's favor often has a multi-generational impact. Here in our text we read, out of respect for David, God was gracious, (coughs) which is part of what God does. He was gracious and blessed David's great grandson. That's who Abijah was. Even though Abijah was not devoted to God. I'm convinced that at least part of the reason that Joanne and I have enjoyed the blessings of God in our life over these years is because our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and perhaps even our great-great-grandparents that we know nothing about made a decision to follow Christ. They enjoyed the favor of God on their lives. And so we enjoy it. And I'm praying that God's favor will also continue to impact our children and our grandchildren. We had something happen not very long ago on Father's Day that kind of illustrates that for me. On Father's Day, my little three-year-old grandson, by the way, he's the smartest three-year-old in the world, But my little three-year-old grandson was perplexed about what he had among his own possessions that he could give me as a gift. And evidently, there was some discussion with his mom about things I might like to have, and they came to the conclusion that I like books. And if you know me, you know I do. And considering what kind of books I might like best, it dawned on him someplace in that conversation that I liked books about God. It's like a light bulb, his mom told me. It's like a light bulb came on in his head. He turned around, he ran into his room with great excitement, and he got his little kid's Bible, and he brought it out, he put it in a Paw Patrol bag, and he gave it to me for Father's Day. I pulled it out, and I looked at it. Snuggle time Bible stories, by the way. I pulled it out, looked at it, and and said, isn't this yours? And he said, 
It was mine, but it's yours now, Papa. Now, you can imagine that this is one of my favorite books. It's going to go on my shelf right next to all the other favorite books that I have. But it's more than that. Somehow it's an indication to me that not only do I like books, not only has he observed that, but he's observed that I like books about God. And I know it's a small thing, but that's what I want him to remember about me. I like books about God. So that's just one small demonstration. God's involvement with our lives is multi-generational. We can and we do impact future generations by our devotion to God or lack thereof in our lives today. Are you living in God's favor today? Do you have the kind of relationship with Him that allows Him to pour out His favor on you and your family? God honors wholehearted devotion and wants to shower you with His compassion and mercy. Out of that compassion and mercy, God sent His Son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins so that His mercy could triumph over His judgment. If you haven't already, make a decision today to become a follower of Jesus. In prayer, ask for and receive His forgiveness for your sins. Make a commitment to stop doing the things you know are wrong. Ask God for strength to live a life devoted to Him. As you continue to develop your walk with Christ, you will be amazed at the difference it makes when you live in God's favor. Thanks for listening. Visit us on the web at daretohope.life. Now that's dare, the number two, hope.life. Or at our Dare to Hope Ministries Facebook page. You may also send email to hope at daretohope.life. Be sure to join us next time for part two of Living in God's Favor. Until then, remember God wants you to live a life He can favor, which means we may still dare to hope. Oh Christ, this-